For our series, This is Our God and our study of God's character, we've looked at God's justice and providence, as well as his compassion and grace. Today we're going to look at this question, how could God still love me? And see that the Bible shows us the answer is his loyalty. In our original passage, Exodus 34, 6, the Bible says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And from that verse, we're drawing out these characteristics of God. And even though the verse doesn't specifically say our English word loyalty, it's that phrase at the end there, abounding in steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word chesed, which is not easy for me to say, but it's also hard to translate into any language because it combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one. When we see chesed in the Bible, it is describing an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care and love for that person. So as we dig into this idea today, we're going to use an example that Jesus used in his ministry. That is the story of the prodigal son. You've probably heard that phrase before, the prodigal son. We're going to see that in your Bible or a new version in Luke 15. We'll work through verses 11 to 32 today as we study. In this chapter, Jesus is teaching a mixed crowd, and he's using parables to teach them about God's steadfast love and loyalty for people, especially for those that are lost and mired in sin and looking for help. This parable of the prodigal son will show us God's steadfast love and loyalty at work, what it looks like. And specifically, we're going to see three reasons why God's loyal love is so profound and should be the foundation of our faith. So let's jump right in with number one. God's love endures rejection. Okay, in our story, we'll see in verses 12 and 13, it says, The younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So he wanted his inheritance. The father, it says, divided his property between the sons. And not many days later, that younger son gathered all he had in his inheritance and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So in the beginning of this parable, we see that the younger son is having some issues. He's not happy about something. So he makes this unusual request to his father. He asks him for his inheritance. That's not something anyone would normally do while their parents are still alive. This is illustrating to us the son's indifference towards the father. The implication here is that he's fine with the idea of his dad being dead. In his mind, Dad might as well be dead to me, so I'll take my inheritance now. He doesn't care about his father, only what he can get out of him. And so despite this blatant rejection, the father gives him the inheritance. Now, it seems clear that the father knew sometimes you can't force your kids to do something. You just have to let them learn for themselves. That's not always the easiest step 
to take, but the father here knows while it might be painful, he has to see how it goes for the son. And here's the key. The key. Even though the father loves the son so greatly, he doesn't try to force the son to love him back. He hopes for it, but he doesn't force him to do it. And so often we dishonor God by making choices that go against God and go against his word. Sometimes these rejections are huge and we know it's obvious we've really screwed up. But a lot of times it's small little daily things. And we tease about them being, you know, the Sunday school answers. But I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. And these little things add up. And then they come out in our lives when we choose to be rude instead of kind. We choose to be angry and frustrated instead of patient. Like the prodigal son, we only care about God for what we can get from him. And so when we inevitably get into trouble or there's an emergency, we call on God's help. And despite our rejection, God's love endures. It doesn't diminish or fade. It's still there. In his book, Gospel, J.D. Greer said it this way, There is nothing I have done that could make God love me less and nothing I could do that would make him love me more. Okay, so no matter what we do for good or for bad, God's love doesn't change. God's love endures our rejection and remains constant. Number two, we're going to see God's love accepts repentance. God's love accepts repentance. This father had to know something was up with his son, right? Parents out there, when there's something going on with your kid, you may not know exactly what it is, but you can tell something's going on, right? The kid asked for his inheritance, and the story tells us that a few days later, he gathered all he had and just left. The father likely knew that his son was going to waste everything that he had. And it had to be especially difficult for the father to know because it was the father's stuff in the first place. He had divided the inheritance to the, to the son, but that was from the father. He's the one who had put in the work and the time to earn those resources. And he had provided for his son throughout his life. And it was still not enough for that younger son. And he could see that his son was likely to squander all of it. Maybe he didn't know the exact details, or maybe he could guess, but the son wasted everything he had on prostitutes and living how he wanted to. And when the money ran out, the Bible tells us he had to hire himself out to feed the pigs for another farmer. And if you think about that, in the Jewish culture, pigs are unclean animals. And so when Jesus is telling this story to a crowd of Jews and saying this younger son was so low, he was feeding pigs. For them, that was like the lowest of the low. And he was so hungry, it tells us, he wanted to eat what he was feeding the pigs. They were being fed better than him. And in verse 17, the Bible says this phrase, when he came to himself. So he finally realizes what he's doing and decides it would be best to return home 
and beg his father for forgiveness. He wants him to allow him not to be his son, not to return to where he was before, but just to even work as a hired servant for his own father. So he sets off back to his father's house, and despite all of this happening, all of this waste and ruin, the rejection and the, the way that he just took it all and left his father and ignored whatever his father may have been trying to do in his life, look at what verse 20 says. But while he, the son, was a still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See that there, while the son was still a long way off, okay? He's not at the village, at the house. He's a long way off still. How did the father see him? Think about it. It means the father was watching for him. He was ready for him to return. He may not have known exactly how this was going to play out, but the father knew if there was a problem, the son would return. And so if he saw him coming, he knew that something had gone wrong and he was ready for him to come back. And as soon as he saw him, he felt what? The verse says, compassion, love. He wasn't angry. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't ju judgmental. He didn't show any of that. Maybe they were there. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he doesn't show that to his son. What does he show him? Just love. He loved him and he ran and hugged him and kissed him. The word ran there is cool because it's the same Greek word that they used to use to describe the events in the ancient Olympics. The running that would take place there. So you know, this father wasn't like shuffling out there. He was running. He was running hard, and this kind of display of affection was unusual in this cultural context. And it showed the intensity of his love for his son. And this was despite all that the son had done wrong. The father's love survived all the insult and pain and was there waiting for him as the son returned from this faraway land and from his foolishness. No matter how much we have rejected God, no matter how much we've screwed up, no matter how much we've squandered God's gifts in our lives, when we come to our senses and come to him in repentance, God is there waiting with love. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so we see God's love accepts our repentance and restores our relationship with him. So finally, number three, we're going to see God's love rewards faithful service. And so this son returns home, and although they were celebrating, the father, you know, shows him this love. They start a party. Another issue arose. Remember the prodigal, he's the younger son. And so the Bible now tells us that at the end of the parable, the older son is out working. He's out doing what he's supposed to, and he's coming back to the house, and as he's getting closer, he hears the celebration. 
And he realizes what's going on, and he's not happy. And so he refused to participate. He didn't want to celebrate for his brother. The father's response here is another example of compassion. This time for the older son. The father goes out and begs the older son to come and celebrate with them. But he's very clear in his complaint. He has served his dad for so long. He's never disobeyed. He's never received a party like this for doing the right thing. He says probably something like, when my brother takes all your money and wastes it on prostitutes, we throw him a party. Right? That's that older sibling syndrome. You, you never get recognized, but the little ones do when they, get, they do one little thing right. What we see with the older son here is that he had a sense of entitlement just like his brother. The younger brother's was brash and demanding. He wanted his now so he could do whatever he wanted. But this older brother, his entitlement was simmering below the surface. His reaction here tells us what he thought of his brother the whole time. It's pretty clear he was angry, and now he, he was carrying that anger with him. Some part of that was likely directed at his father. Maybe he thought dad was a pushover. Or you always treat him like a baby and get away with stuff. And I'm the older one, so you always hold me to the rules. And you're more strict with me. Maybe he was just worried about ensuring there was an inheritance left for him one day. But once his brother returned, this all came bubbling up to the surface. Again, How can we celebrate this loser after what he's done? I've done my part. Why don't we celebrate that? What we see is that the older brother is ignoring the love that his father has shown him his entire life. He was being selfish and he was worried about himself and his own reward. He had no interest in celebrating the return of his brother because he wasn't sure how it would affect him. And so the father's response here is everything. In verse 31, it's the father says here, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Now first, that reminds us that sin has consequences. Okay? The younger son's inheritance is still gone. There's, it doesn't come back just because he asked for forgiveness. So he tells the other son, Everything I have left is yours. Like, you know that. He doesn't get any more. And so he's telling him, you still have that blessing. But this also shows that the father does honor faithfulness. Not only was everything going to be the older son someday, but the other son, he tells him, you are always with me. You have me. And so that presence was part of the blessing for his faithful service. He had spent all that time and had that relationship with his father. And so when you come to this moment in the story, the father wanted to celebrate the return of his younger son, but he also wanted to be sure that the older son wasn't overlooked. So when he reminds him of these things, he can see that he's not happy, but the father shows him the same love and patience and grace that he's just shown to the younger son. God's grace 
when he gives it to those who have wasted things, we see that in our lives. We think, oh, they've made a mess of things and God gives them that much grace to cover that. It will never cheat anyone else out of God's blessings. God does not have a finite amount of grace and when he uses a lot for one situation, he runs out for the rest of us. And so when we see that, no one needs to be afraid of like, God doesn't have love for me. He has more than enough for all of us and if we've been truly faithful, God will be faithful to bless us for our obedience. So God's love rewards our faithful service and also allows us to celebrate each other with him. In this gathering today, we almost certainly have people at all different steps in our relationship with God. We may have some who have experienced his loyal love over a long period of time and would say that they're close to God in their relationship with him. Others might be struggling, feeling like there's a separation with God or that he's not there or something like that. Maybe you would say, I don't have any relationship with God. It's just kind of unfamiliar. Or I'm here, it's a little more of a curiosity at this point. What we learned today is that God's loyalty is based on his love for each of us. It endures our rejection, it accepts repentance, and it rewards our faithful service. The greatest example of this is seen in Jesus himself. Okay? The gospel is the ultimate showing of God's loyal love to mankind. To provide some additional context to that, I want us to think about these ideas in terms of the three circles. We've referred to this a lot in the last couple years here at Bethel, but as a quick reminder, the three circles tell us that God has a design for everything, okay? God created you and me, the world, and everything in it, and he has a design for that. And humanity chose to step away from that design. That's called sin, and because of our sin, we are broken. We try to fix it, and we fail, and that's all of our squiggly lines, right? We're trying to fix it, and we're not getting anywhere closer to God. The only true fix for our brokenness is the gospel there at the bottom. And so all we have to do from our brokenness is repent and believe the gospel. That is that Jesus came and died for our sins and was buried and rose again. And if we do that, we are able to recover and pursue God's design for us. And so now think about that with today's story. We first have the younger son at the beginning of this story, and he is clearly in brokenness, right? To try to fix it, he takes his inheritance and wastes it all. That's a big squiggly line for the younger son. And when he comes to his senses, he comes home to repent of his sin, to beg for forgiveness and hope for this small amount of mercy he's looking for to be a hired servant. But as soon as he shows up, his father gives him, uh, forgives him completely and restores him. This is the younger son repenting and then being able to recover and pursue God's design for his life. That part's pretty easy. It makes a lot of sense. But what do we see with the older son? He's faithfully serving, so he's a lot spending time in that God's design bucket, right? And he's getting upset about this situation. He knows his brother is over there in brokenness. He's watched the whole thing happen. And he says to his father why are we celebrating that and so when the father 
answers him and tells him, you always have me. Today we need to celebrate that your brother repented and recovered God's design for his life. What the father is showing is that he loves both of his sons equally. And at different times and different situations, it may show up in different ways. But it doesn't change. It doesn't get stronger or weaker depending on the circumstances. And it's such a perfect picture of God's loyal love for us. Maybe you feel like the younger son. You know there's times where you're in brokenness, you need his help. Or maybe you feel like the older son, you're faithfully serving, you feel like nobody cares. We have to remember God's word, that he loves each of us equally, and that he is able to do that. Because I believe if we added God's name to the three circles, he'd be right in the middle. He wouldn't be farther away from us, regardless of where we find ourselves within the three circles. And so even when we're struggling and life is hard and we know we've screwed up and things just seem hopeless, God is still right there. He hasn't changed. And when we're doing things right and we're being faithful, he's not closer or farther. He's still right there. And that's up to us to recognize. And so what do we, what do we see? What does God's loyalty mean for each of us today? I'm just boiling it down to two things. First, God's love doesn't change. We have to remember that. And I feel like it's so easy for us to forget it and to think, oh, I'm closer to God today. Oh, no, I feel farther away from God. Okay, that might be how we feel, but the fact is we're the ones moving. God is not changed. He's still there and his love is still the same. That love is available to anyone and it's not limited or changed by your circumstances. Okay, so God's love doesn't change. And yet, he doesn't force us to return that love. Okay, it's our choice. We have to accept God's love. He already loves us as much as he can. Okay, we can't earn any more love from God. And at the same time, we can't do anything to make it less. God will not love you less. So when we change our mind to agree with what he says about us, that's when we repent and believe. All we have to do is accept his love for us, believing him in faith. And it's that simple because he is always there waiting for us to return. He wants to forgive us. He wants to accept our repentance. And that's all because he he just wants to love us. He loves us, and all we have to do is accept it. We can take him at his word on that precisely because of the loyalty we see in God's love. His love doesn't change, and we just have to accept it. Let's pray.